Acts chapter 13, verse 13. We're starting there if you want to turn there. It's good to, to be with you this morning. Um, thank you, Scott and uh, Tyler. Even though Tyler didn't know ahead of time. Um, for reading and for leading songs. It's great. Uh, I'm sure Pastor would agree with this to be able to come up and to just jump into the sermon and to just enjoy the singing. That's a, it's a great ministry to us and the pastor when we have people do that. Um, it's an honor to be able to preach to you guys today. I can't pull Pastor David's shoes, but I'll try and make sure I stick to God's words and it actually has some value for us here this morning. And I just ask uh, you uh, tune in and focus in if you need notes. I didn't make notes in the back. And uh, we'll dig into God's word and hopefully walk away with it uh, with something that can change our lives. Let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that uh, we can come here together, Lord, just to to um, exhort one another, to fellowship with one another, to um, encourage one another with, uh, with singing as we worship you, Lord, and just pray as we, we go and we dig into your word, Lord, that uh, it's your truth, so that it has value. Help me just uh, to get out of the way and to serve your word well this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Today's uh, sermon is entitled, Don't Miss Your Chance and Exhort One Another. Um, the word exhort uh, means uh, to push something forward for a good cause. If you're applying it to the Bible, it'll be a little bit more expounded out. But just keep that idea, pushing something forward for a good cause. Um, confessional time, I guess, here. Um, I'll throw myself on your bus instead of my wife. Well, she's guilty of it, too. Disclaimer. Um, on Tuesdays is when our trash is supposed to go out. And uh, a lot of times we'll have these, like, family birthday parties and stuff like that. Unless I said family, so if you haven't been invited, I'm sorry, you're just not related to me. But we'll have these family birthday parties on Mondays. And family will come out, we'll do stuff, we'll decorate and stuff like that. We get done, we'll clean stuff up, we'll put the house back together, we'll put the food back and stuff like that. People will have left. And Jordan and I will sit down, we put all the trash maybe in the trash cans. And, uh, or Jordan has, because I'm lazy now. I'm just kidding. But hopefully I'm kidding. Am I kidding, honey? I don't know. Um, so anyways, we'll get all the trash, we'll get it put in the trash can and stuff like that, and then maybe we'll take out the trash, but then we forget to take it out. And then Tuesday morning comes around, and my wife will say something like, oh, I just heard, you know, the garbage truck came, the trash is gone, and I'll head off to work. And then for me, if Jordan doesn't mention it Tuesday morning, I remember like Tuesday night when I come home, there's no trash can out there by the road or anything. And so we did these good things, you know, we cleaned up and stuff like that, or Jordan did, and I was lazy. But so we clean up the trash and we did these good things. We saw family. We um, interacted with them. Hopefully, we uh, did it in a biblical way and exhorted them. We did all these good things, but then we forget a really important part. And if you continue to forget that important part, over time, if you do that multiple weeks, which we've done a few times actually, <laughs> um, you start to get this problem where you got this trash can outside and it's full, and then your trash cans inside are full, and then where are you going to put all the trash? that you have, and it starts to pile up, and hopefully you remember by the third week, which I don't think we've ever done in three weeks, although just I hope not anyways. Um, <laughs> we have? Oh dear. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Um, now I'm embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed before. Um, so we should have been exhorting our trash to go out. It was an important thing. And in the same way, we should be exhorting each other. Now, if you take my illustration a little bit farther, which someone might or something. Essentially, I'm saying we're trash or you're trash. I'm supposed to exhort you. I don't take it that way too far. You can break down any illustration you want uh, and make it uh, 
a mockery of it. But we should be exhorting one another. It's an important part. I mean, you can come to church cleaning up the trash. Um, you can listen to a good sermon or a bad sermon like today. Um, you could do some singing. You could do all these good and positive things. You come to small groups. Fantastic. But maybe you're missing that last part where you're not exhorting one another. That's what I'm going to talk about today because you can miss your chance. You can miss the trash day like me three times in a row, I guess. So today, as we dig into the Word, keep that in mind that we're supposed to be exhorting one another, pushing one another toward good things, toward God here. So point number one, if you're following along in your notes, is make giving and accepting exhortation a part of your life. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. So, this is something that's supposed to be happening daily, so that doesn't just mean on Sundays or Wednesdays or even maybe um, breakfast on Saturdays, whatever it may be. It's a daily thing, so that means you have to be like in contact with like people. Am I talking with them? You have to know them. It's something we're supposed to be doing, and there's this warning in here, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. It seems like well, sin can come in, and it can make it so that people become hardened, and they don't want it anymore. They don't want to be exhorted. Um, and, um, to uh, be propelled in their walk with God. My definition here, biblical um, exhortation, the definition for it is urging and encouraging someone with the intent to propel them forward in their walk with God. Now that might be a positive thing, like good job, keep it up. It might be a, a negative thing, like hey, this is dragging you down. And it might be a, you're doing this good thing, now add this to it. There's all sorts of ways this can be applied out. But we need to be doing this it needs to be like a part of our lifestyle, not just a, a Sunday or a Wednesday or something like that. Continuing on, jumping into our text, it takes time to exhort. So uh, in verse 13 here, a little bit of context. We're uh, following Paul and uh, Barnabas, and they are traveling around as missionaries here. Verse 13 says, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia and John, John Mark, which we talked about tonight, departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Bethsaida, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, stay on. And then Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, said, and yes, we're stopping in the middle of the sentence. But there's a, a key point here. They go to the synagogue, they hear a bunch of teachers or like here reading, which uh, if you kind of study that time period, they had a lot longer of an attention span of us than us compared to us. So this is a long time. And they don't do the typical kind of American church thing, you know, like sermon is done, that guy went for an hour and a half, and I'm out, I'm gone. And they run away as fast as they can. Paul and Barnabas, who's with them, they're willing to stay. And they're like, they have this opportunity to exhort these people who, I mean, if they're smart, they would just get it from listening to the word anyways, right? If they heard it, they should get it. They heard the sermon from Pastor David. It was a really good one. They should get it. Mission accomplished. I can leave. Like, no, no, they, they stay to exhort someone. They take the opportunity. They take the time to exhort. Continue on. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. It takes, yes, listening to exhortation for it to have any effect. If someone comes to you and wants to encourage you or push you to do better in your walk with God, you have to be willing to listen. This applies, yes, to Israel here, but then anyone who fears 
fears God. So if anyone here fears God, which if you're a Christian, um, then you would say, yes, I do. And so you should be willing to listen to exhortation. So it takes listening to exhortation for it to have any effect. Moving on to number two here. Exhort by pointing to and recognizing God's working. Now this is something I struggle with. I think I shared that in a small group is seeing how God works in my life and then um, communicating it out to other people. And Paul does a fantastic job of how God has worked in his life and then by extension the, the nation of Israel here. And he kind of goes through their history to remind them of how God has worked. So starting off here, he says, The God of this people Israel, the God of this people Israel, chose our fathers. God chooses people. Um, here, of course, God is choosing Israelites, and he's choosing people throughout history. But um, you might say, well, that doesn't really apply to us. Well, think about all the people throughout history God chose. In the New Testament, I don't really have to give like a, a verse to support this. Thing. I mean, Paul, Peter, all the apostles, so many people in the New Testament, God chooses people. He operates this way. He cares about people. He allows us to even participate in the ministry. So God chooses people. He challenges with them. He exhorts them with that. I mean, he exalts people. And exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So the people of Israel, they're in Egypt. They are slaves. And God is building them up. He is lifting them up. And then Matthew, talking to us, it says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And notice the, the exalter, if you look in the context here, is God here. And we're not exalting ourselves like, Ooh, look at me. I am so good. I am so awesome. God is doing the exalting. He does that for his people. So God exalts people. God delivers people. Paul continues on, and with an uplifting arm, he brought them out of it. Talking about Egypt. Delivered them out of Egypt. Part of the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptian army um, that led them through the wilderness. Um, in Psalms, then 1 Corinthians, it says, the righteousness, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Um, you look at this and you're like, man, well, if I cry out to God, then like, I'm not going to have any troubles. Um, not a complete thought here, so we'll look in 1 Corinthians. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. The escape, so to speak, from the trouble, the struggle might be that you are able to now bear it because God helps you. But notice God delivers people from and through trials, and he exhorts them with this. He builds them up with this. God is long-suffering. Now for a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. God was patient. He was very patient with the Israelites for all their history. Um, he could have, rightfully so, from the things they did, destroyed them. He was very patient. He was long-suffering. Second Peter, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here, um, we see that God is long-suffering not just to Israel, which he chose, but he's long-suffering to everyone. Yes, I mean, from the first sin you've ever done, kind of thing, or not even allowing you into existence, God would be totally justified in doing that. But he is long-suffering. He is patient with us. This is a very encouraging thing. In Sunday school, we talked about Rahab. Rahab, by faith, um, she was saved from Jericho and then ultimately construction.
Russian miracle and then ultimately saved. And it wasn't because of her great lifestyle before or anything like that. God was patient with her, and God was patient with the Israelites, and God was patient and is patient with us. God is long-suffering. Um, continue on, God is giving. Verse 19, he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He distributed their land to them by allotments. So the Israelites, after all their sinning and their bellyaching and their complaining, God still keeps his promise and gives them the land. And God makes us promises all throughout Scripture. And James says, Blessed is man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So if you are willing to love God, which love God, love people, the Ten Commandments, the rest of the commandments hang on them, um, God promises reward, and specifically here a crown of life for those people who actually live it out actually do it, not just, you know, repeat some fancy words or something like that. So if you're living this out, there's reward. And God promises all kinds of reward throughout Scripture for living for Him. In verse 20, God sends Abraham. After that, so following the nation of Israel's history, after that, He gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So they're living in the land here, and God gives them judges to hopefully deliver Himself to deliver them from the problems they created themselves. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, yeah, you messed this up, and I'm going to send people to help you fix what you messed up again and again and again and again. Does this a bunch? And God still is willing, after all this time, to continue to listen to them and send Abraham. First Peter 4:10 says, "As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God." So we've all been given gifts. We all have different talents and abilities and strengths and weaknesses and knowledge. And we've been given these, and we can use these to minister to the people. Notice God said to judges. He doesn't just snap his fingers. He used some people. Oh, it's good. There we go. He uses uh, some people, and he sends them in, and they carry out, through God's miraculous intervention in a lot of ways, but he still uses people to accomplish his aiding. In the same way with us, you have abilities and gifts and time and effort and resources to aid people. God can and will use you if you are willing. God listens, continues on, and afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. All right, you guys don't like the judges. Keep saying you want a king. Okay, I'll listen and I'll give you a king. Like you said, it's a good choice. But he still listens, even though they're asking for something. He doesn't think it's best for them. And then Psalm 65, verse 2, it says, O oh, you who hear prayers, you all flesh will come. God listens to prayer. He listens to ours. Even when we're imperfect, doesn't mean like, oh, I can just ask for anything I want, and that's okay, and stuff like that. No, there's a way to pray, and Scripture talks about our, our focus in prayer is ultimately that God's will would be done. So God listens to our prayers. He listens to Israel's prayers. He listens to ours. God does not allow evil on, and when he had removed him, he raised, talking about Saul, he removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of course, David wasn't perfect, but he's a whole lot better than Saul. And even though the Israelites, they asked for Saul, God gave him what they asked for, um, God still loves him enough to remove that evil. Early on, he doesn't die of old age, he removes Saul, and then he puts David in place. He cares enough to 
to intervene and doesn't allow evil to reign forever. We have another godly man coming along in David. And we might have ungodly leaders in various places in the government, just focus on government here. And you're like, man, this is awful, this is terrible. And maybe in your lifetime, that's how it will be. There are people that died when Saul was king. Saul was still king when they died. But God didn't allow evil to last forever because now they were they're believers and they're in heaven with God. And yes, evil doesn't reign for there and doesn't reign there. And evil's not going to reign in eternity either. So evil will not reign forever. Continuing on, God promised a savior. From this man's seed, about David, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the sword of this salvation has been sent. So God promises a Savior to them. He fulfills that promise. For us, we look back and we're like, okay, God promised a Savior. The Savior came. Now we can fully experience this. We're looking backwards. But to them, it was, hey, the Savior's coming. The Savior just came, guys. Like most of these people, they, well, for all these people, they are alive during this time to be able to comprehend what he's saying. And he promised it. It's here. He's been here. He died. He rose again. He's paid for the sins of the world. This Savior has come. He kept his promises. God keeps his promises. And he kept the promise of the Savior. Um, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, not even the wise, the voices, excuse me, of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they have found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Not only did he come, but he rose again. He kept his promise of a Savior. Oh, continuing on, he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were as witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. And that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, that he raised up Jesus, as it was also written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So he gives this whole sort of account of like the reality of what Christ did. And again, we will apply it there. Um, continuing on, um, God has assured us belief, not attempting to follow the law, is sufficient. This is big for Israel. It's big for us today, too, to be fair. But Israel had gotten caught up in uh, the sacrifices, the acts we do, the laws we obey. That's what's going to save us. And he hammers home a point um, is that no, it's belief. And belief alone is what's going to save you. That's why Christ did this whole shindig, was uh, so that belief alone, trusting in God, relying on Him, is what would save you. Verse 38 says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the laws of Moses. 
God has assured us and them belief, not attempting to follow the law, is sufficient. It's enough. Of course, this doesn't mean that, oh, well, fantastic, I'm saved, and I, God doesn't have any other plans for me. No, God has lots of plans for you in your life and how he wants you to serve, he wants you to live, and he wants you to do these things because, honestly, even though it might be hard, that would be the, to use the term, the best life for you to be living for the Lord. All right, number three, exhort believers, exhort believers and unbelievers. Exhort believers and unbelievers. You might start to think like, oh, well, this just, you know, like applies, you know, to the church and stuff like that. And yeah, that's a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. But it's also uh, those outside the church. They have a term here, so maybe someone might not be familiar with it. So a proselyte is a Gentile who became a Jew. So it's someone who grew up outside of the country of Israel. It's like decided that they wanted to become a part of that. And we'll see that brought up here in a little bit. So letter A, accepting biblical exhortation leads to God. Verse 40, it says, Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and the cloud of proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, whose deacons then persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear word of God. Alright, so Paul and Barnabas, they're sharing with these people, and we have some um, sort of different reactions. The Gentiles are incredibly excited by all this, and the Jews, they do want them back to come speak, and the proselytes, they want them back. Um, they're excited to, to hear more of what he has, they have to say. So on the next Sabbath day, the whole city has turned out to hear the word of God. This is exciting stuff. I mean, you think about it. We only preach in the synagogue, it's packed. And now both factions, if you will, the Jews and the non-Jews, have all gathered together and like, we want you back. This is fantastic. It's exciting. But things don't go quite as planned. Even though they're willing to accept the exhortation at first, things get in the way. And that happens for us all the time. In verse 45, um, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming the things spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the regions. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the regions. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Back up here a second because I'm going to fast there. So um, letter B there is dismissing biblical exhortation to sin. So Paul and Barnabas, they start teaching everyone here, and um, the Jews, and potentially the proselytes, uh, recognize that, wow, there are these huge crowds, the entire city is here. Wait a second. 
if they listen to Paul and Paul is teaching what we don't agree with, we're going to like lose out here. Like there's there's envy here. We're going to lose our power, our position, or I mean, people aren't going to believe what we believe. Whatever the, the the struggle here is, they have envy. Pride has gotten in the way of them being exhorted by someone sent by God, by God's word here, Paul, in this situation. Pride has gotten in the way. And you're all here today, so maybe pride isn't necessarily your issue. Um, but outside the church, I have that a lot, where someone will, they, they don't want to go to church, or they don't want to hear God's word because it would go against what they like gets in the way. And that's the situation here with the Jews. And it's a situation we encounter in the world all the time, and probably at times with ourselves when Pastor David comes up here, shares a message, and ooh, that ruffles my feathers. And I took the wind down there. I've had that a few times. And like you have to you have to kind of check yourself because the emotions come in and that envy or that pride comes in and starts to get in the way of doing what's right, of being exhorted, being pushed toward living for the Lord in the right way. Alright, so I have, um, let's see, my, one of my pastors growing up had, uh, he had two deacons, and um, no one will know these guys, so this works perfect, but um, these two deacons, um, they were, for all intents and purposes, were very similar, um, they both had, you know, the, the godly wife, um, they were faith students, and had um, then become part of the church, they had families, and you know, if you talk to them, you know, all this knowledge about scripture and stuff, and they were godly men. And he started to realize something about them, like, you know, I don't really have very many like good conversations with these guys. And you know, like, they're not here very often. Like, I just like they're, they seem like godly men. Like, if I were to take a picture or something like that of their lives, at face might be like, wow, these are good guys. But like, they're just not really around the church very much. Like. First, it was just a feeling, then he started like, you know, I should really think about this, and then he started to kind of do some math, and like, how often are these guys gone? And I'm picking on Deacon Six, I have lots of you guys, but, you know, like, where, where are these guys? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they giving the feeling like that I'm being built up by them? And so he's like, I'm going to meet with these two guys, and we're going to kind of talk about this. So he sits down with these two guys, and he doesn't um, point the finger, but he encourages them in a broad way, like, hey, I'm just feeling like you're not exhorting the body like, you know, you should be. Um, and I just want you guys to kind of evaluate your own lives. And, you know, when we look at deacons, deacons are supposed to be something. There's requirements. The Christian is striving toward it. We all should be. The deacon is supposed to. It's like, you guys, it doesn't feel like you're quite there. And so these two deacons, say they go out, and one looks at his life. It's like, what's pastor getting at? Well, it was obvious for this guy. It was very easy. Um, he was into sports, Christian sports. So can, throughout the year, they would play different sports. Um, you know, part of the year would be basketball, part of the year would be softball or baseball. And I don't know what the other was, but there were three things throughout the year. And they would practice on Wednesdays, and they would practice on Saturdays, and then they would play their games Sundays. And so he'd leave right after service to go play his games, and then he wouldn't be there Sunday night either. So, okay, this is really obvious. Like, well, duh, dude. Like, of course. You know, like, it's simple stuff. He's choosing something we would say is totally wrong in this situation to put sports over God. I mean, that's simple. This other deacon, he's a little bit trickier. This is maybe more like us when it comes to exhorting people. Um, he looked at his life and like, there's no obvious red flag. Um, there's stuff that takes up my time, but let's see. Um, I, my parents are in bad health, so I'm driving to go take care of them on the weekends. They have this rotation of 
work um, long hours so we could pay our bills. And we were like, this scrape the fly to make it work. And um, I take these retreats with my family. Like their vacation was literally retreats. It's a pretty awesome idea. They would travel somewhere, and then he would like choose a topic, make a retreat out of it. And we're going to talk about, um, let's see, love. Or we're going to talk about the names of God or things like that. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Making a vacation. Like, that's awesome. I kind of want to steal that idea when I'm older. But when I'm older, when the kids are older, we actually go on vacation. So there we go. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so uh, I totally lost it right there. Um, so he has all these things that um, they're good things in of themselves. And there are a few others that have gotten me off. And so he looked at them like, well, those are good things. And we probably all agree with that. But they're all getting in the way, and he wasn't realizing that. So the pastor then met again with him and talked with him. And he's like, hey, I, didn't, I haven't really seen any changes. And the guy's like, wait, you're talking about me? I'm doing all these good things. I know. But I, like, I've actually done the math now so we can be a little more concrete. And sometimes we have to do that with our own sin. It's like, well, you're only here. And I'm not even kidding. It's like 38% or 39 and somewhere in the 30s percent of the time. It's like you're doing all these good things for your family extended family, your parents, and you're, yeah, you're working hard to pay off your mortgage and stuff like that. These are good things. He's like, but where are you? I mean, it's not even about the services, but he was totaling like, and we have this event, and you're not here, you have this study, you're not here, you're not doing all these things and stuff like that. And I know you're doing good in so many other areas, but you're missing this like core thing that should come first. And you're like, whoa, it like kind of fried his brain. I remember my pastor was telling me this many years after it happened. It's that's, that's something because I knew that guy later. It's like I never would have expected that. I mean, the guy was awesome. He's only coming to church like 30 something percent of the time. Like, that's really weird. He was hardly involved. Like, it was hard math. So, this guy was really convicted. Completely changed what he was doing. He changed his job, changed when he goes see his family, changed when his vacations were. He takes them during the week instead of on the weekends and stuff like that. And totally flipped his life around, but still ended up doing all the same things. Just now, like, his main priority was like, the body of Christ, I have to be with it somehow. Doesn't mean you have to make every service, doesn't mean you have to um, be in every single Bible study or whatever, but it's a, your main priority is the people and the body of Christ here. You need to be exhorting them, building them up. So the pastor asked him, asked both deacons this question I'll ask you today. He said, When you fail to exhort one another, whether it's in the church or outside the church, what is getting in the way for you? And he just talked about a few pride. And then maybe a whole smattering of good things that might get in the way, or maybe a bad thing that might be like, there's a good football game on. I don't really watch football, but maybe like basketball or something like that. You know, I'm going to watch that, or a game, video game, or whatever it may be. There are things that, you know, might get in the way that tempt us. So when exhorting the body of Christ, um, when you're striving to do that or to be exhorted, what gets in your way? So make sure that you are asking yourself that question. I left you a long blank. I want you guys to write down your answer. We're going to put it on the bulletin board so we can all look at it. I'm kidding. Nobody laughed. Wow. Did somebody <laughs> think I was serious? I hope not. But um, really ask yourself that question. You don't have to write it down. But um, after I was told that from my pastor growing up, like it's something that pops in my brain, I ask myself that. What's, what's getting in the way when I miss something? And it's okay to miss things. I'm not saying that. If uh, you're not here tonight because you're in the hospital, totally okay, you know, but like, just ask yourself, like, is, are there ways I can maybe change things so I could be with the body in, um, physically or so that I am able to give them a call so that I know about this person? What are ways that I can be exhorting one another and what gets in the way? And that's what I'll leave you to be with tonight. We'll pray.
and uh, Scott will come and lead us in singing. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the testimony of Paul and Barnabas as they are showing us ways to exhort uh, believers and unbelievers, reminding us of uh, how you work. Lord, just help me to see in my own life and things around me how you work, and I can encourage people that way. Help us to find ways to make sure that uh, exhorting the body of Christ is a, a key priority for us, Lord. Um, just help us to evaluate our own lives and like what might be getting in the way and what things we can change to make sure that I just ask you to bless the rest of this afternoon for us as a church. Help us as we come back tonight to, uh, and to study your word some more that we come with open hearts and open souls. And I pray.